0: Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. And we've been talking in the times that I've been up here lately, uh, we've had some interruptions about uh, walking by faith. The Bible says a number of things about, it says the just shall live by faith. It says we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Um, What that means is, is living our life in this world, in this flesh, in this body by faith in what God's done for us that we can't see. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus came to this earth, when He died on that cross and when He was buried and raised from the dead, that He, the last words He said from that cross, we heard Pastor Jack say that Sunday so well, it's finished. The battle's over. Everything that Satan came to destroy and do in in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus came to reverse. God had originally given authority to man to rule over this earth. Man turned and gave that authority to Satan. Jesus came to get it back again. God provided us... I thinking, listening to a teaching this this week was a neat idea. I never thought of it before. But if you notice in Genesis, God creates everything else first and then man in Genesis 1. And what I heard is so good. He says, He created all of that so He had everything prepared for Him. It's kind of like when parents are expecting a child... They don't just bring the child home from the hospital saying, no, we're going to need a crib. No, they have everything prepared. The room's prepared. And nowadays they know what sex it is so they can get everything in the right color and get everything ready. Why, they're preparing for that child to come home so when that child's there, everything that child's going to need is ready. And that's what God did. And that's what God did in Jesus. Everything you're ever going to need, everything you're ever going to need, God has already provided for you in Jesus and your question is, okay, where is it? That's where faith comes in. Amen. We've learned when we looked at this that we're to walk by faith. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a two, two principles that are at work in the Bible. They're grace and faith. Grace is what God, out of His goodness and kindness of His heart, just chose to do for us for no reason other than He just loves us and wanted to do it. It's not based on anything we do, ever do, can do, will do, don't do. It's because of the gods in nature. He is loving, He is good, He is benevolent, He is generous, all the things we talked about last week. He poured these things out on us, and grace is what God has done for us. But because where God did it, He did it out of a realm of existence you can't see with your eyes, or hear with your ears, or touch with your hands, the spirit realm, we don't know that God's done it for us because we can't see it. And faith is what allows us to see that it's really ours, so that we can have the confidence and boldness to receive it. So faith and grace work Together, and last last week we talked about in Mark Mark chapter eleven verse twenty, where Jesus says twenty two, where Jesus says talks about the famous faith scriptures, uh, verse twenty three and twenty four talks about prayer of faith and how to believe God and trust God for faith. But the key to it's in verse twenty two. He says, "Have faith in God," and what's really been transforming my life is has been developing a, a, more, a deeper relationship with God so that He is more real to me when I pray. You understand what prayer is? It's just conversation with God. But if I'm having a conversation with Denny, I know Denny's listening and he knows I'm talking because we can connect eye to eye with each other. But when you're talking to God, it's like, anybody up there? You know where I'm here? And of course, we can get this image that with billions of people in the earth and probably only millions praying, does God really hear me? Well, He's everywhere all at once and He can see and hear everything all at once. So, but you have to know that by faith, believe that by faith. So faith is what allows us to have confidence that the things God's promised for are really ours so that we can receive them and we can walk in them. But it comes down to having confidence in who God is. And as you develop a personal relationship with Him, where you have, and it's a growing process where you have more and more confidence that He is really there and He's really listening to you and He really cares about you, it's much easier to have confidence than in what He says. Because if you know somebody cares about you, loves you, they've always been there, they've never failed you, when they make a promise to you, it's very easy to believe that's going to come about. But if you really don't know them, you just know about them, it's much harder. So it's very important to walk by faith to develop a real relationship with Him. And of course, that takes some faith to do that because you can't see Him looking back at you. So you have to take time to do that. And this is what, for me, in the morning, first thing is the best thing. Cup of coffee, go out by myself, wherever I can get some quiet time, and just begin to talk to Him. And if you're a Christian, He lives inside of you. So I just begin to look inside and begin to talk to Him. And the key is expecting that He's hearing you. Expect that He's hearing you. Whether you feel it or not, that's the faith part of it. And then your confidence will begin to grow. And that's kind of what we've talked about. But I want to get into another aspect of this tonight, Hebrews chapter 4, because what faith is, is another way of expressing it. It's taking God at His word. And the question is, can I trust His word? I've shared with you, and I'm not thinking of anybody in here right now, that, that, um, that when I learned, to tr- I learned to whether I can trust people or not, and the way I do that is by listening to what they say and then see if they do what they say they're going to do. So when people say, you know, Pastor, I love you, I'll be here forever, and two weeks later they're somewhere else, I'm not so sure I can trust them. Or people, you know, promise I'm going to do this, and I watch to see whether they really follow through and do it. And I understand we're all human, but sometimes you see a pattern of that, and I'm sure you do the same thing whether you think about that or not. I'm in Romans, that's not going to work. i to go to Hebrews. Right Where I put my marker isn 't that amazing so so what we're going to talk about tonight is god's word and, and whether we can trust god 's Word, and what I want to show you tonight is God's word is different than yours. in fact, it's different than anybody else's. we're going to look in, starting verse uh, twelve, just verse twelve, for the word of God is living, it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division and soul of the spirit of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner in the thought of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, the Word of God we're talking about specifically tonight is the Word that's been given to us in this. You may say, well, how do I know that's God's Word? I'll tell you the simple answer I came up with. Real simple, logical answer, because that's kind of how my mind works. I look at it this way. If God is real, and He is, and God wants to communicate with us, He knows what we're like. And so God has to give us something that He's determined is going to reveal to us what He wants to know. Everybody follow me so far? So it's God initiates a way because He knows we don't understand anything about Him unless He reveals it to us. So God, in my simple view, God's given me a book from Him that's intended to reveal to me what He wants me to know. As most of you know, I was a lawyer for 20-some years. I went to three years of law school, read all kinds of books. I don't remember any of them anymore. I remember some things I learned out of them. Why? Because when I read them, they were dead books. They had information in them, and that communicated information to my mind, but once I got away from that information, it would begin to fade away from me if I didn't need it anymore. But this is a different word. This is a living word. It's, it, it, the Bible calls it inspired. That word means God breathed. So you've got to begin to look at this as not just, you know, that decoration on your coffee table, that thing that you carry to church, uh, that thing that hopefully you look at and read every day or more many times during the week. But this is God speaking to you. Because He is a speaking God. He is a speaking God. In Isaiah, He talks about dumb idols. And he's not talking about how intelligent they are or are not. He's talking about the fact they can't talk. He says, why do you worship idols that can't speak back to you? Why do you worship idols that have ears but they can't hear, and mouths but they're they're statues, but mouths but they can't speak? Some of you may have some of those around, but we won't go there. And he said, because they don't communicate with you because they're not alive." But God is alive, and God speaks with us, and wants to speak with us, because that's how we develop a relationship. Now this, this passage is, again, God telling us, the Word of God is alive, it's living. So well, the wonderful thing about someone that's living is they can meet you where you are. Did you ever notice if you, if you know somebody very well, or you've been married for very long, that people can have moods? I don't have to go through this, but sometimes people, husbands come home when they want to, the old thing is throw the hat in, in the door and see what happens to it, find out what mood she's in, or he, she wakes up and says, I wonder what kind of mood he's in when he's going to come home tonight. Why? Because, because we're alive, we kind, of, we kind of ebb and flow, and so we have to adjust to where one another is because, because they're alive. And that's part of the thrill of marriage, isn't it? Ha ha. <laughs> it is, it's the adventure of it. In the same way this word is alive. It'll speak to you where you are now. And I've had verses, I can't tell you many times, verses that I've known by heart, verses that I preached on, taught on, suddenly will open up my eyes and I'll see something from a different angle, and it's right what I needed to hear today. Because it's alive. And I'll never forget when I was seeking after God and didn't realize all along he was the one that was drawing me. I would figured out the only way I'm going to know about him is to get my Bible and read it. And I would stay up late at night and read my Bible, and I couldn't get anything out of it. It was the dullest, deadest thing I had ever read. I couldn't really understand it. Oh, I could understand the words, but I didn't really know what were they trying to tell me. And that's because I was he wasn't living inside of me at the time. And after, I, mean, I was a lawyer at the time, I could understand the, so, then the internal revenue code, I'm not sure I could do it now, but I could, I, you know, I was, that wasn't, not, not as if I didn't have the mental ability to read and comprehend things, but I couldn't get what this was talking about. But from the t- night I was born again, the next night I sat down and opened this book and I couldn't put it down. Suddenly it was speaking to me, suddenly it was alive and speaking to me and I finally discovered why, because the author of this book now lived inside of me. So if there's something I didn't understand, He was there to reveal it to me and to show it to me. And even now when I read this, it's so exciting because it speaks to me. It speaks to me where I am. So it's a living Word. And it's the living Word and it's powerful. Now we're going to talk for a few minutes about this word powerful. It's an interesting word because the original of this was written in Greek. And I don't. we don't go back and talk a lot about that. But it helps me sometimes because I love words and I love studying words. This word powerful is a word that's only really used three times, actually four. And it's a word that means to work, it at it, that it is at work carrying out its intent. I'll, I'll do that more slowly. When it says the Word of God is living and powerful, there's a word in Greek that sometimes is translated in the English as powerful, and it's dunamis, which means that it's, the, it's, the, it's like dynamite. It is the ability of God to accomplish things. There's another word that's often translated powerful or power which is which is a word that means authority. But this is a completely different word. This is a word from which we get energy from. And what this word means is that the word of God is at work. It's it's working out the process of carrying out its purpose. So the Word of God, when you read it, when you, when you meditate on it, is alive, and it has within it the ability to work out what it says, and we're going to see that more clearly tonight. Now we're talking about being able to trust God's Word, the place that we give God's Word in our life, and that's what we will end up with. Okay, so it's, it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, um, in John 6, verse 63, you don't have to turn there, uh, Jesus is talking about about Himself as the Word of God, and He, says, he said, my, my words are spirit and they are life. This word is spirit and it's life. It will breathe life into you. So if tonight you're discouraged, I can't tell you the times that I've gotten up or been in a situation and been discouraged or tempted to be discouraged feeling overwhelmed whatever it was and I open up my bible and I turn to something and it speaks to me right where I am sometimes it's a psalm that just encourages you and says hang on boy you're going to make it sometimes it's a scripture that kicks me in the seat of the pants and says wake up boy and do what you need to do whatever it is that I need that's what's there to speak to me but but what I want you to see in this is and this is one of the key things about the word of god and this is one of my pet issues is it's not enough to read it. We need to read it so we can know what's in it. So if you're not reading it, at least start with reading it. But when I used to sit down and read large passages in the morning. And what I've done now is I start to find a scripture that, that resonates with me, and I'll just meditate on it. Because meditate on it is different than reading it. You have to read it to meditate on it, but meditate on is when you kind of run it around in your mind. It's like chewing it up with your mind. And, and, and you all know how to do that because it's called worry when you meditate on something that's wrong. Well, you keep stewing over something and going over and over again. What happens when you do that? That little word, that little offense somebody said to you suddenly begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you get all worked up about it because you've been meditating on what they said. Or you've been meditating on what you saw on television or what you heard. And the more you think about it, and the more you talk about it and talk to yourself about it. And don't tell me you don't talk to yourself. But it gets bigger in you. Well, the same is true of the Word of God. You can take this Word and that's what the Bible tells us to do is to take it and to begin to chew on it with your mind. Squeeze out everything that your spirit can get out of it. I use this example because if all you do is read the Word it's like in some, in some food industries, they have testers. So there's wine testers and there's cheese testers and, you know, whatever the food is that you're, or drink, they'll have people that test it. But they don't consume it. Because if the wine testers drank the wine they tasted, they wouldn't be very trustworthy to evaluate the wine that they were drinking by somewhere around 11 o'clock in the morning probably. And cheese testers would get stuffed... So what they do is they put it in their mouth and they move it around so that it touches every part of their, every taste bud in your mouth and then when they're done evaluating it and getting the flavor of it, they, let's put it this way, they get rid of it, okay? And, 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 but they never swallow it. So what it is is they experience the food. They experience the wine. They experience whatever, but they don't get any benefit from it. Everybody following me so far? So when all we do is read the Word, it's like tasting it. I feel good because I read it. I know what this says, so I feel better about myself. But the only way this is going to really change you is to get it down inside. And that comes by chewing it, by meditating on it. So, but as you do this, this Word says... The Word, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight, the Word has within itself the power to produce what it says, unlike any other words. I was, years ago, when I was in Bible school, I was riding a bus to school, I think, and, and I was, uh, it was a, a municipal bus, and I'm, uh, I'm just, I don't know what I was thinking about. I was just on the bus. And I heard these words inside of me, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And He said, there's a difference between my words and your words. I said, okay, what is it? And this is how he said it to me, and I'll explain it to you. He says, your words are probative. My words are causative. Here's what he meant by that. When I speak a word, I'm predicting what's going to happen. So if I say, I'm going to come Tim, tomorrow, and I'm going to help you move those carts that you crates in your garage or whatever it is, I am giving my best intention to do it. Do you have any? (laughs) This is an example. Okay? So I may not be able to follow through in what I said. I I may have lied, which I wouldn't. I I may have given my good intentions, but I really changed my mind. Or maybe something came up and I couldn't do it, but the fact that I said it doesn't make it happen. It's just giving you a promise that I'm going to make it happen. That's all we can do, because we can't make things happen. But God's Word's not like that. God's Word's contain the very power to produce what they say. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 55. And this is God telling us what His Word's like. Start in verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. and that's startling? Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, stop there a second. Well, let's go on. For as high... As, now he's going to tell us there's a, what the difference is. So he starts out by saying, your thoughts are not like my thoughts. And your ways are, are not like my ways. And now he's going to tell us... And by the way, he's not bragging because you brag to impress people, who's God going to impress? So now he's going to explain the difference. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now the good news here is just because God's ways are higher than our ways, you can keep the scriptures up there, or His thoughts are higher, doesn't mean we can't change our ways to be like His ways, and can't change our thoughts to be like His thoughts. But notice, God isn't saying, I want to change my thoughts to be like yours. He's saying, I want to give you the opportunity to change your thoughts to be like my thoughts, and your ways to be like my ways. Well, let's go on. And he's going to give an example that they could all understand. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return, but it waters the earth and brings it forth and buds. So what is it, from God's perspective, why does He send the rain? Why does He send the snow? It's to water the plants. So it says, as the rain comes down and the snow comes down from heaven and it does not return there, but it waters the earth. So what He's saying is, the rain is sent forth from heaven to accomplish a purpose. And it doesn't come back to me, but it accomplishes the purpose for which I sent it, which is the water of the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now that's the example he's using. Verse 11. In the same way shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth... It shall not return to me void. That means without producing results. But it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper or succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying, when I give my word, it is given to produce the very thing it says which is another way of saying what I just told you. God's word is different than your word and my word. Now here's the power. This comes down to why learning to make the correct confessions. And I'm not sure I like that word, because that sounds like a religious term nowadays. Confess just means to agree with, to say the same thing. Literally, it means in the Greek word, to say the same thing as. So what God says to us, when you say the same thing as I say, it's going to have the same effect of when I say it. Let that sink in. When you say what what I say about it, your words coming out of your mouth, because they're my words, will have the same power and effect that they have when I say it. Remember years ago, a couple of years ago we studied uh, spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 and we talk about all those things he talks about, the helmet of salvation and the, the shoes of the peace and, and the, the belt of truth and the shield of faith and, the, and, and all those things are defensive weapons. To, they're defensive things to protect you from the enemy's onslaught. But there's one offensive weapon. Remember what it is? It's the Word of God which is the sword of the Spirit. We talked about that when we speak God's word, something happens in the spirit realm, spiritually, because God's words coming out of our mouth are a sword for our angels to use to fight off the enemies of our soul. God's words, and by the way, let's think for a moment about what His words have accomplished. And God said, let there be light. And God said, Let there be a sun to light the day and a moon to light the night. And there was. God didn't say, I want about 2,000 angels to go down to Lowe's or Home Depot and and get the supplies you're going to need because we got a lot of work to do this week because I got to get this done in six days because in the seventh day we got to rest. He didn't, He just spoke. And it doesn't sound as if he yelled. It doesn't sound as if, He just said, let there be. We know a little bit of what that's like because when God took on flesh, Jesus, and walked among us, how did he deal with situations? He spoke to them. He spoke to them. Remember when he was, a, he was asleep on the back of the boat and there's a terrible storm and these fishermen are scared that they're going to go down because the storm is that bad? And they they go back, and he's asleep. Why? Because he said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's try. So when he said, let's go to the other side, they're going to the other side. Whether the boat goes down or not. Because a little later on, he goes to the other side without a boat. He just walked on the water. And when they wake him up, they say, don't you care about us? And he walks to the bow of the boat and he says, Peace, be still. And all that fierce storm that made it look as if they were going to sink calms right down. The wind subsides simply because the Word made flesh spoke to it. You say, well, that's Jesus. Well, the disciples spoke to, to, to uh, a man that was lame at the big be- gate Beautiful. And he stood up, I know of the famous, famous uh, um, healing evangelist of the, of the early uh, 20th century, uh, Dowie. He, made it, he was from Australia, he made a number of trips by boat here from Australia and across from the continent over here. And I think if I remember correctly, 14 times they were, um, they were, appro- they were, they were confronted by storms, in each case he stood on the bow and said, peace be still. Oh, better than that, the Rackleys that were just here. Four times in that mission, James has had hurricanes coming at them, and he stood on the boundary and spoke to them, and I watched one of them go right around their area and come back on the same direction. I sat on a balcony with him in Mexico. And while, you know, we, we finished at Crusade, and we were relaxing, and our wives were doing something... And we're looking out over, the, over this area, it was a pool area, and it's, it's like noon and they're putting all the chairs away. I said, that's kind of strange. So he called a friend of his back in the States and he says, oh yeah, don't you know that? There's a hurricane bearing down on you, they're closing hotels. So he just stood there and says, not going to come near here. And it didn't. So this is, but it's God's words. See, see if I stand out there and say, you know what? I want a Cadillac to show up out there. That's not going to happen. because At least I don't think so. Because it's, when you take God's Word, see, the reason many of us aren't confident is we don't realize the power in God's Word and it's just we're just a conduit to speak it out. So begin to think about what you speak over your body. Okay, we've got to move on. All right. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 4. Everybody okay? Yes, sir. All right. This is something you need to think about and think over. The power that's in God's words because of who God is that said it. Luke chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse... um, That's not right. It's Luke chapter 8. I'm sorry. I gave them the wrong scripture. It's Luke chapter 8. We'll start in verse 4. I got them backwards, that's what it was. And when a great multitude had gathered together, they came come to him from every city, and he spoke a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the wayside, beside the road, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some of it fell on rocks. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop of a hundredfold. When he said these things, he cried out, He who as he used to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to them, to you, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest of it, it's been given in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now stop a second, because that's easy to misunderstand that. I mean, it's easy to read that, keep that up there. It's easy to read that and think, well, gee, that's not fair. I mean, God's hiding the truth from some people and revealing it to the special ones. No, if we we were going into Matthew's version of this, it becomes a little clearer. Jesus told principles, spiritual principles in parables so that those who really wanted to hear what it was about would ask. There's a principle in the Old Testament of teaching your children, which we don't follow nowadays. They They wouldn't teach them, they would not explain to a child why something works, they would make them memorize it. So much memorization. This is what we do. This is what we say. And they would do it over and over again. And what it says is when the child asks you what it means, then explain it. The amazing wisdom of that is when the child asks, they're ready to receive it. And I think sometimes we try to make children think, learn things they're not ready to learn. But if they've memorized it, now once they want to know the meaning of it, they have the meaning and they have the substance of it together. That was free. But that's what this is like. The Bible, Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine. There are many people that don't really want to know what, what you've got to say. I was listening to a pastor of a large church the other day, and he says, you know, I learned, give me a long time to learn it. But a lot of times when Christians ask the question, they really don't want the answer. I learned counseling people. Many times people, I've got to find out what they're there for, because it's often not what they say they're there for. Not that they're lying, they just don't know. Many times people come for counseling and they don't want to get out of... They don't, want, they don't want change. They want you to make them feel better. They want you to rescue them out of the situation that they spent 20 years getting into in 45 minutes. Or they bring your child in and say, fix them. <laughs> and so, so i, I listen. What, what are you there, there for? And many times they just want, to, they just want you to feel, make them feel better. And I can't make it feel better for a little while, but change is what's going to change the situation. But if you're not ready to change, you won't change and you won't listen for it. And that's what he's talking about there. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. Now he's going to explain it. Here's the key to this whole thing. In this parable where it's a farmer sowing seed, and now he's going to explain to the disciples what he's teaching here. The seed is the Word of God. So what this parable is all about is the sower, and he goes on to explain that that's the farmer, sows the seed. He plants the seed. God is planting seed in you every time you open this book, every time you come to church, every time you turn on a teaching, every time you put a CD in or put something in your ears to hear the Word of God. God is sowing by the Holy Spirit His seed in you and His seed is His Word. Now, what we've just been talking about leads up to this. Think about what's in a seed. What's in a seed is everything that's necessary to produce whatever that seed is. is. If 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 it's a kernel of corn, everything's in there to produce a stalk of corn. If it's a tomato seed, everything's in that seed to produce a tomato plant that will produce tomatoes that will have more tomato seeds in it that will produce more tomatoes. So whatever, everything that's needed, think about, I want you to think about this. Everything that's needed to produce that fruit is in that tiny little seed. And I don't know how many of you, you know, have seed catalogs, I don't know if they have, you know, it's online. You order seeds to plant your flowers and things like that. My mother was a horticulturist. She knew all the Latin names for these things. She was amazing. She had a green thumb. I ended up with a black thumb. I can kill any plant. (laughs) She's given us some say, you'll never kill that. I did it. And I didn't do it on purpose. (laughs) I did not inherit her ability. (laughs) But she would she would take cuttings of things and replant them. But here's the point. If you buy a package of seeds, those seeds may have been in that package for a year, two years, three years, four years. It doesn't now; They're dormant in there. Your Bible may have been sitting on your shelf for two years or three years or four years. But it's filled with seeds that are dormant in there. And if you'll open the package of seeds, you still won't do any good unless you take those seeds and you plant them in the ground because for that, what's in that seed to produce what it's made to produce, it has to be put in the right environment and then certain things have to be added to it. And if you'll just put it in the ground and you'll just water it, it will produce what is intended for it to produce. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. The Word of God contains, like that seed, exactly what it promises. So when God's given you a promise of healing, that promise contains the power to produce that healing. When God's made a promise to you of peace, God's made a promise to you from this Word or even one spoken directly to you. That word has the power in it to produce exactly what it says, but in order for that to work, you've got to take that seed, you've got to take that word, and you've got to plant it somewhere. And the only... Well, we'll get on with the story because he tells you where you got to plant it. Okay. parable is this the seed is the word of God verse 12 those who are by the wayside are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts lest they should believe it and be saved and that word saved means more than going to heaven but the ones on whom the if falls on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy praise God hallelujah wasn't that a great message but if they have no root notice they have no root See, th- he's talking about the condition of the soil, and in this parable, the soil, the seed represents the word of God, and the soil represents your heart, the openness and receptiveness of your heart. So, the first example is where the seed was sown on the wayside; it got off on the hard rocks, and and it did, before it could ever take root, the birds came and took it. Satan steals the word; he's after the word. He's after the word. That's why there's a battle that goes on in here. Every time the word comes forth to distract you, to get you thinking about this, you've got an itch here. I wonder if I'm gonna be, I wonder when we're gonna get it. All those things are to distract you so the seed doesn't get in. The seed doesn't get in. And then you've got the soil that that, that's that's well, let's go on. There's this one. It, It goes on the rock. So the soil here is very thin. It implies, in fact, the other examples talk about a thin layer of soil. So it's enough to take root, but the roots can't go down. They only go out. So there's no strength there. And when the sun comes up, when the the pressure comes up or temptation comes up, what happens is the, the roots aren't down where the moisture is. They can't get what they need. So they're scorched. They burn up like my grass in August. And have no root who believe for a while... In the time of temptation or pressure, fall away. It's so discouraging as a pastor to see people come, give their life to Christ, come for a little while, and then something goes wrong in their life. Some pressure comes on and they leave. They pull away from the only one that can help them. Or they get under financial pressure. And they trade their time with God for an extra job when God's the one that can get them out of it more than the extra job can get them out of it. And there's times you need to do those sorts of things. But we, we place other priorities in front of God's Word, which is the only thing God's given us that will get us out of where we are. All right, we've got to move on. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell on the thorns are those that when they heard go out and are choked with the cares of this world, the, 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 um, the, the uh, Matthew's version says that the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things. This is soil where there's depth to it but there are other things in the soil competing for the water and the nutrition. And so it chokes it off. So the result is it grows but it doesn't either produce fruit or the fruit it produces is a healthy mature fruit. And what that translates to as us is when the Word gets in you, the cares of this life come at you because they're trying to take a place in your heart above the Word of God. And when they do that, the Word of God goes to a a lower place in your heart and is not able to feed you and strengthen you. And and instead, the cares of this life are competing. And, you know, I'm sure you all have some experiences with this. You know, you just, you you get... Sometimes it seems like you're just really getting somewhere spiritually and the washing machine breaks, the car gets a flat tire, you know, an unexpected bill comes in. All you got to recognize all these things are coming in to pull you away from the Word. Because the devil knows that that Word in your heart, if you keep it in your heart, if you water that Word, if you keep it in there, it will... it cannot be stopped... I'm sure you've seen pictures, I've seen real life examples of plants that have grown up through rocks and move them out of the way because of the life force that's in them. All of that's in that seed. All of that's in this Word. It will eventually move the obstacles of your life out of the way. If you plant it deep in your heart, you continue to water it, meditate on it, and begin to speak it out. The Word of God cannot fail as long as it stays in your heart and comes out of your mouth. It may take a day, it may take a week, but it cannot be denied. It cannot fail because God said, my Word that goes out of my mouth will not return to me without accomplishing what I sent it to do. The question is, does it say dormant in your mouth? Does it say dormant in your Bible? Does it say dormant in your heart? Okay. Where are we here? Verse 8. But others fell on good ground, and they sprung up, and they yielded a crop of a hundredfold. Matthew says 30, 60, fold And when he said this, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. See, if we think God's words like our word or anybody else's word, then we'll have a struggle with trusting it. But you begin to realize what God's word is and who it is that's behind it, you'll have much greater confidence in it. Just verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now go over to chapter 2 and we're going to look at verse 20. And now he's talking about the the, how, the, the the living of this out, and the principle here is that faith, apart from works, is useless. Faith that's not acted on, is useless. So go to chapter twenty, verse two. Uh, chapter two, verse twenty. I've got everything backwards tonight. Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works? Is dead or useless. Faith is what you believe in without some corresponding action on what you believe in is dead or useless. Faith is not a mental attitude. Faith is not a state of mind. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not just confidence. Faith is an action. There's two sides to faith. You must believe it in your heart but then you must do something with what you believe in your heart because as long as it stays in your heart believing in your heart it's never released. It never... It's like, it's like taking the... It's like pouring the water on the... On the, on, on the whatever, I lost my example. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, well... I, no, I don't want to go there. It takes too long. Let's go on. All right. Now he's going to use an example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? That takes a couple of moments of explanation. Because if you understand Romans, you'll understand very clearly Paul's writing that Abraham is the example that he uses of salvation by faith in Christ alone and not by our works. So how is this... The same, how is this true? And he's using Abraham as an example of it. And that's a great example because it shows how the two go together. The story, whether you know it or not, is this. God chose Abraham and from him he wanted to form a nation, Israel. And God told him, I'm going to give you a son. He picked a man that was 75 years old and a woman that was 65 years old and she was barren to begin with so he took a couple that was past the childbearing age and the woman was barren to begin with and so he took this impossible thing and he said, I'm making a promise you're going to conceive a child through her I want you to know that I did it not you well it didn't work right away they got impatient so what did they do? they decided to help God out and I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of us have done that And because this doesn't seem to be working, so they come up with this scheme. Well, his wife Sarah says, well, I'm going to give my my servant Hagar to you, and you can have relations with her, and then, you know, that child will be born from you. And God says, that's not going to work. Because then you've had something to do with it. It's going to be because you believe me for that son, and no other way. Because I want you to know I did it because you believe me. That's the son he's talking about. But when this son was somewhere like 20, 22 years of age, one day, and now he loved him with all his heart, God said, I want you to take this son, your only son, whom you love, that I gave you, and I want you to go three days to this mountain, and on that mountain, you're going to sacrifice him to me. That means you're going to take a knife, plunge it in his heart, and then burn him up. And Abraham got up the next morning and walked without hesitating towards that mountain. When they got there, He left the the, the servants there, and I love this statement of faith. He said, the lad and I are going to worship God, and we will return. They're going up the mountain, and the boys take an inventory. I see the fire, I see the wood, but I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham's statement of faith is, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And you know the story, they got up there, he tied him up, set him up on the altar, and he was ready to bring the knife down. And an angel spoke to him and says, stop Abraham, now I know that you reverence me. Now, what was that all about? If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you see the other side of this. Because it said, because remember, God's the one that made clear to him, I've given you that boy, and through him, you're going to be the father of many nations, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out if you kill the boy, he's not going to be the father of many nations. This is his only chance. So Ab- here, here you've got, I love this. You've got, Abraham's got this absolute promise from God that God's made clear, this is what I want. And now you've got God saying, kill the boy through which I'm going to do it. I don't know about you, but I would really have been tempted to say the other's the devil. That can't be God because they don't line up. Abraham didn't worry about whether or not they were conflicted with each other. That wasn't his business. His business was to obey God. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we see the key. He said, Abraham believed... That if necessary, God would have raised him from the dead on the spot. That if he had driven that knife down and slain the boy, that God would still have raised him up because God's promise was still true through that boy, you'll be the father of many nations. See, when you're trusting God, how it happens, is not it's not your worry. We spend too much time trying to figure out how God's going to do it. I learned this principle a long time ago. It can save you a lot of heartache. Every time I try to think of how God's going to do it, He's just checked off one opportunity. Not going to do it that way because I don't want Him to have thought how I was going to do it. It says, "And, and by doing that, Abraham received Him back as a type. Now the interesting thing is, thousands of years later, on that same mountain, which was Moriah back then, was a thousand years later, is called Golgotha. God took His only begotten Son and put Him on a cross and God slayed His only begotten Son and then raised Him up from the dead. But here, what this is talking about here is Abraham's faith in God was made manifested to the ultimate because he obeyed what God said and by doing that he released, we don't have time to get into it tonight, he released the fullness of the Abrahamic covenant for us because he performed fully his side of that covenant obligating God to perform his side which he did a thousand years later on that same mountaintop when Abraham needed his godson to die for him. And you and I needed God's son to die for him. God was duty bound by what Abraham did to sacrifice his own son for you and me. That's explaining what verse 21 is. Verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, his deeds? And by his deeds or works... His faith was made perfect. That means complete. When we take God at His word and then act as if that word is the truth, we release the power of that word into that situation. And the interesting thing is I was studying this out today. Where it says, was working together with His works that word working together is the same Greek word we saw in the very beginning in Hebrews 4.12 when it says the word of God is powerful. It's at work. That's the same word but it has a, it has a prefix on it. In Greek it's S-U-N which is together with. So this is saying that God, our faith, His faith was working together with His works. So when we act on what we believe when we see it's easy to believe something and not find out whether it's true example all right, I believe in tithing I believe in tithing the proof of whether you believe in tithing is do you tithe I'll never forget we don't have much time left but I'll never forget I never heard of it I wasn't raised around that and I'm saved I'm studying things I'm reading my Bible I'm hearing teachings and I hear about this tithing and I asked what it was And then they told me what it was. A tenth of the increase? I was in a big law firm then. We were paid once a month. So that check was good size. And my was not very good at math, but I could figure 10% of that quickly, and I gulped. And I got a decision to make. And I'm not teaching about tithing tonight. I'm talking about this. I have a decision to make. I'll never forget sitting down with my hands trembling. <laughs> what are you doing? Do you know how much money this is? But I'm either going to obey the Word, or I'm not. And I'm so thankful I didn't hesitate. I just swallowed, and I said, because God says to do it, I'm going to do it. And I've never looked back. And we don't have time tonight to tell you the blessings and the provision, the I made financially, went broke once financially because of stupid decisions I made and God bailed us out to the point we have no debt God's faithfulness to his word but see he waits for us he's waiting for you to act on what you believe because when you act on what you believe that releases it and now he can respond because the power to produce it's in those words that you believe in your heart but, you, but the proof that you believe it in your heart is when you act as if it's so See, action is not the fourth step in a five-step process to get my needs met. Action is the proof of what I believe. Every one of you tonight, with no exceptions, believe that that chair would hold you. How do I know that? You sat in it. You're sitting in that chair as living proof that you believe that chair would hold you. That's just a simple example but it's, it's the reality of what this is all about. We've got, to, we've got to bring this to a close. So the word, I look at it this way. Remember what this word is. It's God's seed. Every promise of God contains His ability to produce whatever that word says. Just as a seed contains everything necessary to produce whatever that kind of seed is, but it needs to be put in the right environment It needs to be put in your heart that's open. And then it needs to be watered. Watered by meditating on it. Watered by listening to it. And then it needs to be, sown. it needs to be spoken out or acted on. So what is the the action? Well, you'll know. Because you'll know whether you're really believing that it's so, or you're not. So the Word is the potential. And the acting is what releases it. It's what sets it loose. Our kids had at times, I don't remember which ones, those little race cars, you know, that they would go... Mm-hmm. i love to see if I could get it so wound up it would go through the wall. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? But you've got to let it go. And you're building up all that potential All that potential energy, you're building it up, but then you've got to act on that and let it go. And when you do, zoom, it releases it. The Word of God. The Word of God on your mouth, in your situations. And it's a sobering thought because so many times the words that come out of our mouth are not this words. So many times the words that come out of our mouth are agreeing with the enemy of our soul. And when we do that, we're empowering Him. People sometimes wonder, well, how could that terrible thing happen? Well, unless God shows us, we don't know. But many times, it's just things we've been saying. And we don't need to be afraid of our words, but we need to be conscious of our words. I'm never going to get a job. I just know I'm going to get sick this year. Words out of your mouth are authorizing somebody in the spirit realm to do something. I said, "Well, what 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 difference do words make?" In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God said, "That's what words can do." Look at the universe around you. That's the result of God's words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you, Father, that you would entrust your word to us. We thank you that you're not just a God who sits in heaven and looks down on us and judges us, but that you're a God who talks with us and communicates with us so much that you came to earth, took on flesh, so you could touch us and hear us and understand by experience what it is we go through so that you could relate to us. And you've given your word to us, Father, filled with promises of what you've already done for us and what you want to do and want to see in our lives. Father, open the eyes of our understanding that we might truly see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ, your life for us that's in Christ Jesus. And I ask you, Father, by the Spirit, to take the seed of the word that's been sown into our hearts tonight and cause it to germinate. Mm Begin to grow every time, the next time we open this word and realize that it's you speaking to us. And the ability to carry it out is in those words itself. For this we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close this,